0: Hello there, welcome to the NeuroDive podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Sam Harris, and a bit of a different sort of format for this episode. Usually I like to have guests on, so it's not just my voice droning on at you uh, through the headphones, but it's just me today. Don't let that put you off. Hopefully there'll there'll still be some interesting content. Um, But this is kind of, I guess, the first part in a bit of a series I'm gonna be doing on the podcast. Um, which I'm going to call ADHD or ADD and me, Uh, for those of you that have maybe followed neurodive for a little bit, particularly, I guess what I was going to say more recently, but I've, I've only been, uh, I guess doing this through neurodive since August previously. I was with BizNet, so you might've heard the podcast previously or come across me previously for them. Um, but those of you that sort of are familiar with me will know perhaps um, that in, in terms of ADHD or ADD, there are a lot of traits in the children and young people I support that I recognise in myself. Uh, and also that other people in the know, i.e. parents uh, and people, uh, neurodivergent people themselves a lot of the time uh, recognise in me also, apparently. <laughs> So it's something that I, I kind of feel driven to explore now, later in life. Um, when I first started working with children and young people uh, with attention differences, way back in 2007, there was something that drew me in. Uh, it was easy for me to connect with some of their challenges. Uh, I could often, I, I found myself able to empathise uh, with their struggle and their impulsivity in particular perhaps in ways that other professionals i was working with um couldn't do now that's not that's not necessarily a sign that you know that definitely means i have adhd but okay well let's 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 carry on with that journey then so Then I started um, delivering training um, to staff and then started working with parents and trying to, I guess, upskill myself and my own understanding in different um, neurodiversities, neurodivergences, to be able to train, like I say, train train staff and parents. Uh, And the more I learned, the more I I guess I made connections in my past. Uh, My school life was not Particularly, well, see, this is where I struggle because it's not like it wasn't easy because I had a lot of fun and enjoyed it, um, but uh, I guess it probably wasn't easy for my teachers. Put it that way, you know, I was the impulsive kid, trying to make everyone laugh in class, um, forgetting all this stuff, turning up to lessons with with nothing, very disorganised um not doing work in my own time, sometimes not doing it in lessons. Uh fortunately I you know, I read quite a lot when I was very young um and I was able to sort of remember things well and did did okay, you know, I could I could learn stuff fairly quickly. So, you know, I got got by with okay-ish results, but pretty much every report said, you know, if he tried he'd do a lot better, um, those kind of things always had to have some form of movement in my life, like sport, things like that. Um, I feel like I'm kind of already starting to sort of justify it, but I'm just kind of trying to highlight the connections. And particularly now in later life, um, perhaps when I'm a bit more self-aware and reflective, I notice all the time uh, my, I guess, my impulsivity, my preference for starting things, but the difficulties I face in finishing them, um, in organizing elements, uh, you know, my, my memory. Uh, so quite often I'll do things like I will, I'll read an email and um, almost answer it in my head. And then I'll assume that I've done that or I'll remember it that I've done it, that I've already written the response when I haven't. You know, there are things that I've done to, to sort of support myself over the years, and that's something I'll probably talk about in later episodes. Um, but in terms of why I'm here and why I'm recording, it, it, yeah, like I say, for the last two years, I've been working more and more. I've uh, been really fortunate to work more and more with neurodivergent adults, uh, Harry Thompson, Chloe farahar uh, of Academy, Uh, to name a few, Tigger Pritchard, barely a meeting goes by or a live goes by or a webinar goes by where I refer to myself as neurotypical and someone challenges that. Uh, And it's been an interesting one for me because I think in some ways, I feel like uh, Harry and some of the others I talk to kind of, they really want me to be neurodivergent, which is, you know, I, I take that as a a nice thing, a good thing, because I guess it means they, well, they say it's because they feel comfortable with me um, and they can interact with me and, and get on with me and, and work with me. Uh, and they struggle to do that with neurotypical people. So I guess there's a kind of an inclusion there that's, that's nice to feel. Um, but sometimes I feel a bit like it's almost, uh, also something that highlights how uncomfortable they feel around or how, I guess, suspicious, I'm struggling for words really, but, you know, how difficult they find it with neurotypical people. And there is a bit of a, you know, quite rightly, a movement online for Uh, I guess highlighting the the trauma and struggle of neurodivergent people that is actually caused by a lot of uh, neurotypical assumptions, social norms, uh, social normalising, teaching neurotypical social skills rather than accepting that there are different ways of socialising and and other neurotypes do it differently and, you know, that's okay. Uh, So, yeah. So there's a couple of things here for me. Um, I mean, in terms of why I haven't done it yet, because this has been happening for the last, I guess, I guess, five years or so. It started off with, again, me just connecting and working well with those children, and young people. Staff started to joke about it when I started to deliver staff training, particularly in ADHD. Um, and then when I started delivering to parents, I remember really... Really vividly, the first time I actually genuinely thought thought about it was I was delivering a presentation on ADHD, I think it was in Barnstable, years ago, uh, and there, at the end, you know, the, the, one of the parents was was talking to me about something, and she was like, and it's just really great that, you know, um, there are role models like you out there for him about her son. I was like, okay, how do you, how do you mean? Said, well, you know, because you have ADHD, don't you? <laughs> this is just like an assumption. Uh, oh, no, well, no, not officially, but I'm wondering if I should look into it. Um, if I'm being 100 honest as to why not, why haven't I done it yet? It's not cheap, right? It, you know, I, I looked, I've looked, shopped around, and I think the best price I can get, which went up 300 quid since I last asked, which is a couple of months back, so that's put me off. It uh, was about 800 pounds now. I spent 800 pounds on things before in my life. I'm not, you know, I'm by no means hard up, but I'm also, I wouldn't have said particularly well off. So it is a lot of money. And again, for me, I've not, I've never, well, (laughs) this is another thing that changes on reflection, but I've never considered myself as someone who struggled because of their neurological differences. Looking back, there have definitely been times, particularly emotionally, um, but also, I guess, my inability to not be impulsive or to do certain things has made life more difficult than it needed to be. Uh, I always felt working with children and young people, I think one of the things that helped me connect and change and benefit from working with with people that were, were struggling, I guess, was that I always felt guilty that I never really had an excuse or a reason for to, for having the struggles that I had in, in my young life because I had a very loving family unit, um, I was an only child, fairly spoilt, I didn't really want for anything in particular unless it was really out of a parents reach. We went on holiday all the time you know even though they weren't massively well off themselves they were always comfortable and, and good at you know I guess, managing those opportunities and being able to afford holidays and saving and things. Um, Well, my mum was, my dad less so, which is again, another story for a a later date, you know, maybe exploring my parents' neurodiversity without them even knowing about it. Hopefully they don't listen. Um, (laughs) Although they'll have to be involved in this process, won't they? Anyway, it's one of those tangents again. So. So, yeah, so I had that kind of imposter feeling whenever I was struggling that like, you know i've I've fucked this up this I shouldn't be here. I never really put it down to anything that I potentially had within myself that was making particularly education and things like that difficult and self management and, and things like that difficult so so I never really felt that a I needed it in any way um or that I really had a right to it in in some ways, because again, you know, there are people out there that are struggling and and really need something to to explain why they struggle and and give them a direction into how to change. Um, But yeah, if I'm being honest, you know, objectively speaking, it's the money, I'm not sure I I can quite afford that at the moment in in terms of what it would give me and the reasoning for it. So there's also another thing that, you know, has come up and and many of you that sort of, again, follow, listen to these, follow NeuroDive, follow the the other people I work with, have their sort of finger on the pulse in the, the neurodiversity world, neurodivergent world. There is a lot of kickback again, I think quite rightly from neurodivergent individuals about the whole medical model, the whole medical model of diagnosis, what that means. Now, predominantly I've spoken to people who are autistic uh, or in the autistic world regarding that, Uh, but it's, it's a very similar, I guess, experience and process, I think for, for the ADHD, ADD, attention differences, diagnostic medical model. And the issue with that medical model, uh, most of the time you don't receive a diagnosis until you're really struggling. So obviously there's some association with that diagnosis and, and negativity, negative experience. Also the actual, the diagnostic criteria, if you like, for, for, lots of neurodivergences, autism, ADHD, being autistic, which is still called autism diagnostically, but being autistic and, and having attention differences or ADHD, ADD, uh, it's really negative it's, it's like a checklist of, of struggles and challenges and things you can't do and things you won't be able to do and things you don't do um there's no highlight of actually some of say the the clear correlation between these neurodivergences and some real strengths or some real uh, skills or, or talents or uh, ways of thinking that could be positive you know uh It's funny, I was, it's a bit of a tangent, but I was on a training course of staff once more recently and I was talking about, again, you know, sort of connecting the dots with my own impulsivity. And I had one chap who said, well, I've always been um, impulsive, but I've always called it spontaneous. So I've never really thought of it as a a negative. And it's interesting sometimes how, you know, just our terminology, our perspective can change something. Obviously, if you're impulsive to the point where you're doing dangerous stuff or, or... Stuff that's long term self harming, and you know it's hard to see that as as, as beneficial. Um, but if you're spontaneously deciding to go around the world and see the world and, and you learn loads from it and it's a wonderful experience, then you know it's easier to see those positives. But I still think terminology can sometimes shift that. Uh, and maybe if you've always been told you're impulsive, then you highlight those negative impulses. Whereas if you think of yourself as spontaneous, you highlight those more positive ones. I don't know. Sorry, I hope this is okay. I'm I'm drinking in between and it is going to be a bit waffly because it it is just me. I'm also at the gym at about three in the morning, which is another, I guess, thing to discuss along the road in terms of exploring my own possible diagnosis. But where were we? Medical model. So yeah, so... (laughs) The whole, the whole kind of system of the medical model, I mean, you know, ADHD, the D, or the second D, uh, is a, is disorder, which again is, a, is another thing we can unpick, but for me, I think a lot of the disorder is compounded, or the fact that it's disordering is compounded by the environments and structures we sort of siphon, particularly our children and young people through, that are designed to support and for the benefit predominantly of the neurotypical. Uh, a classic example with ADHD is, is is classrooms, you know, the classroom environment in mainstream schools, certainly in the UK, is is almost setting someone up who is, uh, you know, who has that impulsivity of movement, which someone with ADHD would often have, setting them up to fail because, you know, that the expectation is they sit still, sit quiet, listen for let's face it, really long periods of time. I mean, again, maybe I'm not the norm and and I guess we'll find out hopefully one day throughout this podcast maybe or for for a more official capacity in the future. But one of the things I think about now is, you know, I barely do anything apart from meetings with, with people and families and, you know, obviously webinars. But again, that's I'm really interested so it's easy to to keep focus for that but you know certainly with admin tasks and things 20 minutes before i have some sort of mental break or checkout is a long time so you know and that might involve going to make a drink going to the toilet going for a wonder if we're honest flicking across to a social media or something else we probably shouldn't be doing when we're working or at work um you know those kind of things i mean if you look at my tab on my laptop I've got in front of me you know there's about 50 tabs open of various things I've sort of looked at and then got got back to what I'm doing I will quite often you know if I'm going to do admin I'll have three or four admin tasks I can rotate around same with housework so again we get we're sort of going back to highlighting maybe why I'm doing this Um, but I just think if we accept there is this neurological difference, which I think we have to now, and these these neurotypes that are different. If there's a system that's set up in ways that kind of directly challenges the things that they will find difficult, uh, then you know what else are we going to see? But but disordered children and young people. Whereas actually, if the environment was changed, maybe they wouldn't be considered that. Maybe they would just be neurologically different or different, you know, from the norm, or maybe not even different, maybe just, I don't know, <laughs> the the kids that do lots of things at once. I don't know, you know, I don't know what you would, would call them in that general way, who knows. Uh, sorry, sorry, let's get back to this. So yeah, so again, <laughs> how useful would it be for me to have a medical model diagnosis? And one of the things, that I spoke to Tigger Pritchard about when we met up for a coffee recently. Uh, He is um, someone who, I guess there's some, again, possible similarities, potentially, depends on the result. But Tigger, or maybe it doesn't, in fact, if I don't have an official test, but anyway, Tigger. If you haven't heard his story, he was a professional working with autistic children and uh, autistic children with a PDA profile for. I think he's done it for about forty years or something. Apologies, Tigger, if I'm making you sound older than you are. You certainly don't look old enough to have done it for forty years. But I think you said that once. It's certainly decades. Certainly a lot longer than me. Um, and was had a rep. I already knew of him before he kind of went through this journey. I hadn't met him, um, but I. I knew of him and had heard really great stuff about how fantastic he was both at training and in his work Uh, and then I started following him online and again I think during the first lockdown he had some realizations about his own neurodivergence and the fact that he was autistic and he, he had a real definite about a a sort of you know a light bulb moment and again similar to me I had lots of people say well didn't you know already and well yeah we just thought you knew that you know that kind of stuff um but he's not chosen to go down that medical model because again he he thinks self-identification is is as as valid um and actually because of you know his issues with the the system itself so he's done that and I think that is there's lots of people doing that who are, you know, identifying as autistic. Um, I'm not really going to, you know, I, I think, of course, that's valid and has an option. You know, you know I think that should be. Uh, I guess what it does do is kind of blur and blow out the boundaries of what, is, what it is to be autistic, maybe. But maybe, but I'd say that's probably a good thing if what it was to be autistic before was to be broken, which is that isn't what it is, and it isn't helpful for people to think it like a bit like that, particularly the autistic people themselves, so you know we're, we're at this kind of perhaps sea of change with ADHD and ADD, I guess it's slightly more difficult in some respects um, I don't know maybe it's not, maybe it's not but but it's not so. <clears throat> Uh, it's, for me, it's not definite enough, personally. It's not definite enough for me to go, yeah, that's me, and I'm going to self-identify. Now, again, talking to Tigger, he was kind of wondering if that was almost like a my own internal block in some way, uh, which I get because lots of people would have strong feelings either way about... I, I, I genuinely don't. I'm just interested. I don't really... I, I don't think... And I have really tried, it's really hard sometimes to, to really uh, be self-aware and, and assess what you're doing and thinking, but I, I genuinely don't think I want it to be a, a result either way. Um, I don't necessarily want to have the diagnosis, but I also, I wouldn't be upset or, or, or you know disappointed in any, in any way. Um, and And again, I'm very lucky to be in that situation, I think. Uh, and it, and that's as part of the reason why I'm doing it now to be honest so we'll come on to that why now but um so here's how I plan to do it which feeds into the to the why I'm doing it because one reason for me to to do the process at least um because there's enough I'd say that the amount of people that have suggested it the amount of people that say it the amount of Ways I can connect it, bearing in mind I'm someone that, you know, has worked in the field a long time. I'm not trained diagnostically, but I I am aware of the traits and the ways of diagnosing. I think there's a chance, so it's worth exploring. Um, But given that I don't really mind either way about the result, and I don't think it will change much, potentially. Well, I guess something like that changes lots, usually, but I'm not necessarily... Certainly not for me personally, maybe, it hopefully will professionally, but anyway, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a bit now. Um, <clears throat> so part of the, the exploration for me and part of what this podcast will be about, and hopefully that will be interesting to people, or certainly not the podcast as a whole, there'll still be NeuroDive episodes with wonderful guests and I've got some great ones lined up and be hopefully doing a lot more podcasts uh, this year. But part of the reason will be to explore the process um, because the ADHD, ADD process is, is not something I'm as familiar with. Um, I would say I'm fairly familiar with the autism diagnosis process. I kind of have to be uh, because of the amount of families and, and children and young people that I support through it. Uh, and, but I don't have the same awareness with with ADHD and ADD, and, and because there are so many crossovers now, and and you know lots of the thinking is of one big spectrum, if you like, uh, which I'm certainly on board with. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of the time when I'm working with a, a child or young person or you know or their family, where they've perhaps got an ADHD diagnosis, but not. Autism, but that's what the family are thinking, and you know, blah blah blah, or the other way around, sometimes. So, there's a lot, there's lots of comorbidity. Um, so yeah, so exploring the journey. So, so by look, so what I'm going to try and do is, I guess, diagnose myself rather than self identify because I've already felt that connection. I'm going to look into what it means. Um, and, and kind of document that and record it. So I'll, I'll go down as medical a model as I can. Uh, so what I've done, it's a bit sneaky really, but I've, 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 I've sort of inquired about the process with one of these private companies that do it. I won't name them because you know they're the ones that whack their prices up 300 quid in the space of two months, but there you go. Um, so they then sent me all the sort of uh, pre-assessment forms. Bingo, so I've got all of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you could find them elsewhere. And I haven't named the company, so they'll never find out, so it's them. But, so they're, they're ones that you give to your parents and they sort of include the scoring system on there as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm gonna get them done and I'll get, give them to my parents and give them to people, my wife and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I'll look at those. I've also managed to get hold of, and I'll, I'll try for the most um, up-to-date one, but there's something called the, the Diva, or Diva, I guess, depending on how you pronounce it. I've got the, the Diva, Diva 2.0, the Diagnostic Interview for ADHD in Adults. Um, and it's a. have found this PDF with the whole thing on there. So it's, it's about 20 odd pages, I think, but it's, it's got the whole interview process. It's got the examples you need to look for, um, all the questions, and then like, information on how to conduct it and how to assess it I've got to be careful because again if I if I read the whole thing it could I guess I mean I, I can't go into this journey without acknowledging it will be tainted with my own thoughts processes you know but I think it would have been anyway if I'd have got interviewed by a specialist I mean I guess perhaps that's um where you need the specialist and I will try and speak to one of those on this journey because maybe they have ways of conducting it in a more conversational way that draws out the question more I don't know but yeah it's going to be tainted with my own sort of uh knowledge prior knowledge but again I think it would have been anyway in some ways so I've just got to try and make sure I'm not swaying each one way or the other um but yeah so i'm going to go through that and assess myself that way but again i'll be understanding more about delivering the process a little bit and perhaps some of the yeah some of the difficulties with the medical model anyway and with the way diagnostics work i mean i remember looking at a list of traits for ADHD once and it was about symptoms that needed to be present before certain ages um, I don't know if it's as well used anymore but it certainly was at one point and, and every single category started with often often struggles to sit still often struggles uh you know to maintain focus in one task often is a really subjective word how is that useful in any kind of recording it's so vague often well who who says what is often and what isn't so yeah I, I personally think that with any diagnostic there are difficulties and particularly things that are diagnosing neurotypes if we were talking about neurological difference it takes part it takes place in the brain but we diagnose by behavior which we observe well we're not in that person's brain so we don't we can as- sort of assume or use information but unless that person tells us what's going on for them, how do we know what that behavior is driven by um, and you know some of the behavior if you look at all the different, mental health differences, um, other neurodivergences, ADHD, autism, the behaviors often blend across lots of different labels and terms. So they're not that useful anyway, in terms of defining which is which, because depending on which one you're looking at, you know which one you're looking for, you tick it off as, okay, well, we're looking for ADHD traits. or oh, that's an ADHD trait. So impulsivity, you know, they, they the behaviour is they impulsively see something and go and walk towards it. But again, I've worked with loads of autistic children and young people where if it's something they're interested in, they'll go and see it because that's their interest. They're hyper-focused. Um, so they're kind of... They're, what we see is a lack of attention... Isn't it's just that's more interesting? My attention is drawn to that, so off I go. Um, whereas impulsivity or ADHD attention might be more about okay, well, that's interesting, but so's that, and what's that over there? And that's boring, but I'll do this, you know. It kind of moves around a little bit more, so at least that's how I understand it. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to use the Diver, I'm going to use some of those assessments. I've also got um, a, a dear friend and colleague who I want to get on the podcast anyway, Sylvia Hayward Pinella, who I She's certainly, she's certainly got, she's a trained clinical psychologist, I think. Uh, So hopefully she'll be able to help me with some of this as well from a sort of medical capacity. Obviously I'll be getting people on to talk about it from a more neurodivergent perspective, Uh, probably Tigger again, uh, you know, a couple of others, maybe try and um, talk to someone with ADHD as well, or ADD uh, who's maybe done a similar thing, I don't know. so hopefully get some guests on as well. But the Diver, <laughs> the Diver has almost stumped me at the first hurdle. And this is where I think maybe my journey through this without doing it officially might, might, might go somewhere different because, okay, let's have a look. Now, right in the introduction, so we are one, two, three, four, five, six, six lines in. The symptoms need to be associated with significant clinical or psychosocial impairments that affect the individual in two or more life situations. Okay. If you asked me about my symptoms, if you like, and I don't even like that word, symptoms, so I'm not ill, if, if I, you know, or I'm not not ill. I'm not trying to find out if I'm ill, you know, uh, Clinical or psychosocial impairments. Well, I don't see them as that, and therefore, six lines in, I'm out because I don't see what's happened as you know the way I am as an impairment, and that brings me on to kind of why I want to do it and why now, um, because I think there's 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 valid, there's usefulness in both. If it turns out that I'm not i don't have you know i'm neurotypical which is how i generally refer to myself you know when when i'm talking with neurodivergent individuals i'm always very clear that i'm not neurodivergent but i think this but maybe that's because i'm neurotypical because again empathy is about understanding that people have a really different different experience from yourself and you can only make so many assumptions you can't always know and actually to assume as we know makes an ass out of you and me write it down it's funnier it's a visual, it's not that funny anyway, to be honest, and you've probably all heard it before, but there you go. <laughs> and people say all oh, people with ADHD are funny. Yeah, not all of us, some of us are pretty dry, turns out. Um, right. I'm saying us, aren't I? See, I've just, have I given my, maybe I do want this. Ooh. See, it's going to be interesting to catch myself. I reckon, if I'm 100% honest, at this stage, I probably would prefer for it to be yes, but do I? It's not by much because even when I say it, I'm like, actually, do I? Anyway, so going back to the why now, if it turns out to be not the case, the one of the things that happens quite a lot, as I've mentioned on lives, is or oh, you can't be neurotypical because you're you're too. I think someone said the other day in a comment on a live. Uh, it was it was on something I did with Harry. Fuck the narrative. <laughs> look look that look into that. That's a, a kind of group of us. Uh Jess, Eliza, uh Harry, um who else was on there? Laura Kirby. Uh Lenara was on there. Oh, I think there's one more, but I can't remember. But so apologies to them. It's gonna annoy me now. Anyway. Can't remember, uh, but look into that. That's going to be happening every couple of weeks. So some interesting conversations there. But someone said in the comment when we were talking about my neurotype, you can't be neurotypical because uh, neurotypicals don't get it like you do, or something like that. So the idea that I I understood and, and but so if I'm if it turns out that's not the case, it helps me in a way because it proves that actually the double empathy problem we can work to overcome it. It's hard, um, and I've by no means got it right throughout my life. You know, there's been times when I've really not seen it from uh, a different perspective and, and, you know, really regret some of the things I did professionally. So <clears throat> it is a work in progress. It's hard, but we can do it. And I think we ha- I have to believe that anyway because I, I don't like the idea of sort of separate areas for people Uh, and I think if more work was done right from the start with children young people who actually by the way when they're really little and really young are probably better at it than we are you know they oh yeah that's so and so they're a bit different but that's fine you know they're fun you quite often get that sort of dynamic with younger children but as social constructs go people get isolated bullied you know we talk about Oh, our kids bullying and isolating people that are different, but what do our systems do? You know, they isolate, not necessarily bully, but continually highlight people's differences and difficulties and challenges, but anyway. So I like to believe that that's something we can overcome. And I also know a lot of other professionals and parents that I believe, and they believe themselves to be neurotypical. That show incredible empathy and support for you know neurodivergent children and young people obviously the people that are online talking about the damage being done and how they've been traumatized with neurotypical people have had crap experiences and i have to say to be fair to them i've not met many neurodivergent people that haven't at least met quite a few neurotypicals that have been completely ignorant that have you know, have been crap. <laughs> but it's quite what I'm saying is that some of them and some of the, the ones I've worked with and, and met have also got some really incredible people in their lives that are overcoming that double empathy problem. And then again, don't always get it right, but they're always trying. Perhaps part of that's part of it. So double empathy being the... Sorry, I've mentioned it loads of times and I'm sure... I just assume people have heard stuff that I've heard if they've followed stuff. But the double empathy is the idea from Damien Milton that it's not that autistic people have a lack of empathy. It's that they struggle to empathize with neurotypical people in the same way that neurotypical people will struggle to empathize with a neurodivergent person because they see the world so differently from each other. Whereas actually an autistic person often empathizes really well with another autistic person hence the need, and I do think there is still a need, and I agree with Chloe on this, for you know, autistic friendly spaces. Now, what I would like is that neurotypical people could engage in that as well. And that's what I feel like I've done. I've said it before, I feel like I've, I've learned and changed so much about myself through my work with neurodivergent people and, and particularly autistic children and young people have taught me loads of wonderful stuff. I, you know, I feel like I'm better at empathy. It's something I work on and identify. I was terrible at it as a young man. Um, I feel like it's given me, I guess it's highlighted the value of following your interests and what you love and what you enjoy and I've done that a lot more in my life and it's really helped. Anyway, Again, something we can come on to later. Where was I? I was talking about why now. So yeah, so if it's a no, there are benefits. I'll understand the process better. So if I'm supporting someone through it, I get what they're going through to an extent, obviously not fully, but certainly in terms of knowing the process a bit better. Um, And also understanding the medical model, if I'm going to talk about, because I do and I agree, I think the medical model needs changing and I think... The whole system needs changing uh, and i think the whole way that we present it to children and young people needs changing um if i'm going to say that i need to understand what it is we're changing in the first place because otherwise you know what what am i complaining about i mean well to an extent if if it's damaging people obviously you don't need to understand it to, to say it's not working it needs it needs something that needs to change but you know, it's good to know, know the enemy. <laughs> it's just, what's the phrase? It's not the enemy, but you know what I mean. Um, so, so it will do that, but also I think it will validate what I'm trying to say and, and show people um, that we can work to understand each other. We can accept and, and benefit from interacting with different neurotypes as long as we're meeting in the middle and we're not demanding the other neurotype meets us where we are all the time um but we have to meet somewhere in the middle so it's not about them changing their in- communication interaction it's about us adjusting to to get to a point where we can both engage and get something from it and enjoy it uh, and then not traumatize and put pressure on each other the same with systems you know um But there is another element where if it's, obviously if it's a, if it's, if it proves that I do have this difference, there's loads to explore because obviously it would give me, um, I guess, advocacy and role model Validation or uh, what's the word? Not really validation, but give me an opportunity, I guess, to to put myself forward as a neurodivergent advocate um, and role model who has perhaps gone a different way. So not necessarily, you know, I've, I've struggled loads. You know, this has changed everything. But actually, I've got to a point where I wasn't struggling and I've found ways to to work to my strengths. Because regardless, you know, even if I don't necessarily fit the criteria, there are traits that have definitely impacted my life and I definitely have to manage and I definitely have to work with, you know, working memory, impulsivity. I did a management course. They said they'd never seen someone come out as strongly as a creative starter, but so low on (laughs) complete finisher. So, you know, there are are things that, you know, definitely exist within my life um, that fit some of these categories, traits, challenges, difficulties, whatever you want to call them. Um, so there'd be an opportunity there. And I think because I work so much with parents and I am a parent now only of two years, but Hey, we all know that these two years are, well, it's certainly things have changed. You know, I'm having to analyze things quite a lot at the moment with the the little bugger. Um, Mostly good stuff, though, mostly good stuff. But anyway, so I, my parents, you know, I've never really spoken about them on the podcast or in lives, but I think I will do soon because the one thing I learned from my parents about parents, they, they always showed love. Unless they were really struggling, they always showed interest and affection and support. Perhaps at times when I probably didn't deserve it or didn't feel I deserved it. They weren't strict. They were very, you know, accepting of lots of things and who I was. Um, and high, you know, very. My mum, my mum. <laughs> I think that the phrase you would probably hear in circles I move in thinks the sun shines out of my arse. but she always highlighted my positives, my strengths. You know, <sighs> I was very lucky and fell into work that interested me at a time when I probably was floundering in life and didn't have no idea what I was going to do uh, that changed my life again which is why I'm so grateful for, for what I do and, and, and the work that I get to do um, but it fed into or well it's actually even then you know I spent the time managing the youth service it was a fucking nightmare it was a nightmare I was terrible at all the organisation and, and all that kind of stuff uh, so so I I changed that, you know, because of whatever my parents had given me in terms of self esteem. I was like, right, well, I'm going to do this now. And this is what I'm going to do. And that's how I'm going to do it. Um, And I went and did it, you know. Uh, So, yeah, I don't quite know where I'm going with that. But yeah, if it proves to be the case that I do have a neurodivergence, I'm hoping it will give me a platform to speak about that and perhaps a different pathway that, you know, you can go down where. Again, don't get me wrong, the diagnosis shouldn't be the problem. Your identity as a neurodivergent individual shouldn't be the problem. The problem is the diagnosis. And what that does is because that's often when you then, for lots of children and young people, you know, they don't. it's not like they self-identify, they, they've never heard of it before, and here it is, slap, here's this thing. And it's at a time when you're really struggling, and here's why you're struggling. Well, actually, no, you're not struggling because of your neurodivergence, you're struggling because you're in a system that doesn't support that enough. Uh, And that's, again, where a lot of this negative association about identity, I think, comes from. So I'm not saying, oh, you know, I got to where I am because I didn't get diagnosed, but I don't know what what would have happened if I was, you know? Uh, So yeah. So anyway, this is, that was meant to be brief, but it really wasn't. <laughs> so some of these might not be. So that's an introduction of what I'm going to be doing. Uh, I'm going to go away now and look at the, some of the diagnostics and things like that. Um, and whilst I'm doing that, I'll, I'll probably unpick more about my childhood and, and the examples that it asks for and, and, and that kind of thing. I might even try and do that know, sort of read through the questions and answer them as part of the of a recording if if people are interested. I'd really like your feedback, so please email me at neurodivetraining at gmail.com, or you can message the Facebook page, Neurodive. Um, Just, I mean, because if if no one's interested, I'll just do it and keep it to myself. (laughs) But if if there is things that are interested or you'll be interested to hear about, or just to say, you know, keep going, I'm really interested to see what happens, then, you know, by all means, let me know. And thank you, as always, for listening. Please like, please share, please comment, review things. It really helps.